and it's verses 1 to 14. Is that right, Luke? Verse 1 to 14. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Hello. <laughs> well, good morning, um, and thanks so much again for uh, inviting us here. It's so, so lovely to be back, um, and, uh, and such a wonderful passage to be able to preach on this morning. Um, I think I don't really feel adequate to the task, um, but if my, if my little efforts can give you a glimpse of something that's going on here, that would just be, that would be my prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you've made us into your family. Lord, we come before you now to hear your word. Please speak to us. Uh, please speak to us through your spirit this morning. Amen. If your house was on fire, what's the one thing that you would take with you? Have you ever heard that question? <laughs> uh, what would it be? I think sometimes I've thought about this question very carefully sort of going, oh, you know, assuming that the kids are out, what's the... But the point, that's not the point of the question, is it, right? You're not supposed to think about it carefully. It's supposed to be that split second where everything's going up in flames, what's the thing that you grab, right? That's what it's, that's what it's supposed to do to you. What do you reach for by instinct? What's the first thing you think of? What's that one thing? And the point of the question is to make you think with clarity, right? When push comes to shove... What are the things in your house that are, that are really important? What's irreplaceable? What's that one thing? 
Uh, it's kind of a funny question these days because probably most people would just say, oh, my phone. Uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, that's the purpose of it, to make you have that sort of clarity. And that's exactly the sort of clarity that is here in today's passage as well. Except instead of being about your house, now it's about your whole life. In life, what's your one thing? When push comes to shove, what's really important in your life? What's the one thing that drives you? The one thing you need? The one thing that gives you confidence or security or identity? The one thing that makes you, you? What's your one thing? Well, that's what this passage is about. But the start is a bit odd, isn't it? It starts with probably one of the most famous lines in the whole Bible, Rejoice in the Lord. And we're like, yes! It's basically the theme of Philippians. Uh, it's, it's uh, what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. It's everything we love about Philippians. Joy and, and, and the warmth between Paul and the Philippians. And then with no warning, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators. And we think, what? Did he stop for lunch or something and then come back and forget where he was up to? Now he's, oh, better talk about the dogs. Well, it's actually, it's not a change in subject. And in fact, this warning here is, is, uh, is really key to understanding what Paul's talking about. Uh, so let's see how it unfolds. Firstly, who are these evildoers? Well, he's talking about the circumcision party. Um, he doesn't actually say that, but when he says mutilators, that's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a pun in Greek on circumcision. It's pretty rude, actually. Um, but the circumcision party, they're the ones who said that in order to become Christian, you had to be circumcised first. If you wanted to be Christian, you had to become a Jew, and then you could become a Christian. For them, circumcision was the one thing, Right? Their circumcision, their status of Jews, that gave them confidence that God would accept them. Gave them confidence as the true people of God. But Paul just rejects that out of hand. He uses the most insulting language possible. Dogs, mutilators. And straight away he claims that we are the circumcision. You see what he's saying, right? The circumcision party have it all wrong. Uh, th- their physical circumcision does nothing for them. It's we who are the true circumcision. We are the heirs to all the promises of the Old Testament. We are the ones that God will accept. We are the true people of God. That's what this means. So if it's not about physical circumcision, then what does it mean to be the people of God? Well, Paul doesn't leave us wondering. Who are the true people of God? It's in verse 2. We serve God by His Spirit, not by the law or by our own righteousness. And we boast in Christ Jesus and not in our own flesh, in our own capacity or achievement. You see how it works, right? Paul denounces those who have confidence in their own flesh, trust in their own accomplishments, boast in their own status. Uh, But we don't boast in ourselves. No, we boast in Christ Jesus. Who are the true people of God? The ones who have given up trusting in their own status and their own achievements. The ones who boast only in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. And this is all very well. Um, But why do we rejoice in the Lord? Why do we boast in Christ Jesus? Why would we want to give up on all our achievements? What's so great about Jesus anyway? What is so great about Jesus? Well, this is exactly the question that Paul wants to answer. This is what he wants us to see. 
And so he gives us his own example. If there was anyone ever who could trust in their own achievements, who could stand before God and claim something from him, it would have to be Paul. It's not like he rejects confidence in the flesh because he's hopeless. No, it's the exact opposite. Paul is the ultimate Israelite, the most faithful of God's faithful people. This is Paul's one thing, right? It's where he put all his effort, all his zeal, all his passion. His Israeliteness was the source of his identity and of his confidence before people and before God. Paul's one thing is his legalistic righteousness, his status as one of God's people. And he sets it before us almost like a challenge. Do you see that? Almost to say, can you do better? What is it for you? Deep down, what is it that you hold to? The thing that gives you value or identity or security. The thing that lets you look down on other people. The thing that gives you confidence that God will accept you. What's your one thing? He's almost daring us to top him, isn't he? What's it for you, he says? Is it your job title, your status or your wealth? Is it your perfectly behaved kids? Is it your sense of moral superiority? which you keep buried. What gives you confidence? It doesn't matter what it is, he says. It doesn't matter because I found something far better. This is where we get to the centre of the matter. This is the heartbeat of Paul's message. Here you can really feel his passion. He wants to give us clarity. He wants to set your life on fire and make you ask yourself what's important. He says, do you want to know someone with confidence in their own achievements? It's me. It's me. I'm an Israelite, he said. Not just any Israelite. I'm a proper Israelite. I can trace my ancestry to Benjamin and I was circumcised on the eighth day. Take that, circumcision party. I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, the ultimate in righteousness. I was so zealous for God, I traveled everywhere persecuting the church. But all of that is loss. All of that is loss. I was the best of the best, he says. None of you can match it. But none of that matters anymore because I have found Christ. In fact, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul says, I've given up. I've given up clinging to my own righteousness, a righteousness that can never live up to God's standards. I've found in Christ a righteousness that comes through faith in God. And you feel Paul's heartbeat. This is the message that just overflows out of him. Christ is all. Jesus is the one thing. It doesn't matter what you've got. It doesn't matter if you're a Hebrew of Hebrews. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor of the church. It doesn't matter if you're a a missionary or a Bible teacher. It doesn't matter if you have the best job or the biggest house. It doesn't matter if you're respected, important, famous or rich. You'd give it up in a heartbeat. It just doesn't compare to knowing Christ. Why would you cling to your own righteousness when you can have the righteousness that comes to God? Why would you cling to what you can make of yourself when God can make of you something so much better? See, righteousness and confidence before God, that's a gift. It's a gift. Security, status, identity, adoption into God's family, they're all gifts. And above all, righteousness and status is simply Christ himself greatest gift of all to know him to be found in him let me tell you my story about all of this 
See, I spent the last four years at Bible college, but I ended up following the wrong God. Uh, I'm a maths teacher, so when I went, I was a bit worried. I was a bit worried about going to Bible college because I'd never done that sort of um, humanities or literature study before. I was a bit petrified of writing all those essays. Um, but I was worried about the wrong thing. Because um, I found out I was good at writing essays, and the better I, better my grades got, the more they just filled my mind and my heart. And it's such a sounds so stupid to just say it, but that's it was real. Some people worry about idolizing their studies, but I was I was that guy. My my um, my whole life was just about that moment at the end of semester when their grades were revealed. It ruled my life, it governed all my priorities. Every moment was a choice to work on college tasks or to do something else. I had started resenting social functions because they took me away from my study. Grades became my one thing. And I'd like to say I didn't neglect my family, um, but caring for my family, I guess it was a bit like a checklist. All the things you have to do to be a good father so you can tick them off and then go back to your study. And I, I, um, I didn't neglect them, I think, but the truth is they weren't my first priority. And it just sounds yucky to come out and say it like that, but it's the truth. Uh, and what's worse, what's far worse actually, is that Jesus wasn't my first priority either. Um, it's, it was just idolatry, pure and simple. I've always been so frustrated with the ancient Israelites when you read the Old Testament. They just had one job. The great living God had saved them made them his people. All they had to do was stick with him. Why would they go following other gods anyway? God had promised them security and blessing and life in the land. Time and time again they go following the wrong God almost at the drop of a hat. Well, I was horrified at how easy it was to end up following the wrong God. Without realizing it, even, I had chosen my one thing and it wasn't Jesus. And then in the middle of third year, I had a 10-minute conversation that changed my life. You see, by that point, I was suffering, actually. My, um, my ambition was just driving me into burnout. Um, it wasn't like I couldn't see the problem. I just couldn't break out of it. Nothing I tried made it any, any better. And one of my lecturers asked me, why did you come to college in the first place? Uh, And it wasn't until then that I think I actually understood my own idolatry. God was no longer my one thing. I had put something other than Jesus as my highest priority. And despite the fact that it was breaking me, nothing I did could fix it because I didn't really want to fix it. I refused to dethrone the God of high grades and it was killing me. And that, that realization just set me free, just like that. It was so obvious. I've been so foolish. Talking about it now, you can barely believe that I would do something so dumb. What could my grades ever give me that compares in any way to knowing Christ? How many high distinctions are worth the hope of eternal life? It was my Philippians 3 moment. In, in an instant, I was just ready to throw it all away to get back to following Christ. I finally saw my self-deception. I ran straight back to Jesus. And the change was so complete, it was almost comical. It's funny now, it wasn't then. But my last year at Bible college couldn't have been more different. Jesus took my obsession and my perfectionism and replaced it with joy and peace. I was more patient. I had more time for my kids and my friends. My relationship with Tanya flourished. 
I'm learning to trust again my future to God, to boast in him and not in my own flesh, in my own flesh to trust my future to his strength and not my own. Jesus is slowly teaching me again to make him my one thing. And, and why? Because Jesus is better. That's the point of this whole letter. Christ gave up his glory and, and became like one of us. Remember chapter 2? He died for us. He saved us. He offers us resurrection and eternal life and friendship with God. How else would we want to live? What does Paul say about his own life? See the last bit of this passage. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Christ Jesus has already taken hold of us. Where else would you want to turn? What else would you want to do except reach back out and take hold of him? Paul says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. This is why chapter 3 begins like it does. If this is you, if you hold on to something other than God, if you boast in your achievement or status, if you have confidence in the flesh, the only way out is to see Christ clearly again, to rejoice in the Lord. And if that's you, then come back. Come back. What, what is it that the world can offer you? If you had to stand up here and say it out loud like me and my grades, how silly would it sound for you? It doesn't matter what you can achieve. You can never stand before God on your own terms anyway. Why would you want to? Christ, by his grace, offers us forgiveness and friendship. See the joy and the glory of the gospel again. See it with fresh eyes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they've gone out there. You can stay with me if you want. See the, see the joy of the gospel again. Rejoice in the Lord. See God, the God of all, as your glorious Father. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord and make him your one thing. Stop trusting in yourself. Don't keep your identity in your own achievements because confidence in the flesh, whatever it is for you, confidence in the flesh imprisons you. The better you get, the harder you have to work. The higher you go, the further you have to fall. And when your identity is in your own achievements, the pressure is all on you. It drives you towards selfishness. You start making sacrifices you said you never would. And why? Why would you cling to all of that when Christ holds out his hand? You don't need anything else. And even if you lost all the rest, it would still be worth it just to have him. To join with him in his death, to rise with him in life and to walk with him forever. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God by faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this 
or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is, what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's your one thing? Rejoice in the Lord. Let me pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, so fill our hearts and our minds this morning, this week, every day and every year. Lord, just with you. Uh, you are the greatest, uh, the, mo- the eternal, but you came to us. You took on a form just like us. You lived with us, you walked with us, you're patient with us. Uh, and Lord, you died for us. Uh, but Lord, you are so great, so wonderful, that death itself... Uh, is not ultimate. Lord, you rose to eternal life. Lord, now you live uh, live and rule. Lord, one day you'll come again um, to take us home to be with you. Lord Jesus, uh, we don't want anything else. Lord, nothing that we have or nothing that we've built can compare. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'll live our lives happy to lose anything if only we can gain you. Amen.